Hey everybody, welcome to 2021. Change is in the air, hope is on the horizon. It's an exciting time to be alive. Um, Great to be back with you here on the podcast. I wanted to make you all aware that we've actually launched a new offering here at Enrollify called Enrollify Exclusives. And Enrollify Exclusives are sort of like a Costco or a Sam's Club um, without the membership fee, and we're not gonna be giving you discounts on food, but we are gonna be giving you special deals on higher education software, higher ed vendor services, premium content offerings, and a lot more. And our first Enrollify exclusive partner is actually Element 451. And Element is an admissions and marketing enrollment CRM. It's sort of like if HubSpot and Slate had a baby, they'd name it Element 451. Um, And a few weeks ago, I sat down with Artis, who's the CEO of Element 451, for a special, what we call, behind-the-pitch deck interview, which really showed us um, a behind-the-scenes custom look of Element 451's marketing technology. And this is actually an an eight-part video series that goes really, really, really deep into uh, Element's unique value proposition. It explains how they stack up against Slate, TargetX, and other higher-ed CRMs. Um, And we actually give you sort of like teasers around what they've got coming down the pipeline this year with respect to their product roadmap. So if you haven't watched these videos already, or if you haven't uh, read about Enrollify exclusives already, please just head on over to the website, enrollify.org forward slash exclusives. And you can be, you'll be directed to this, um, to this special interview with, with artists from element 451. Um, finally, everyone that engages with this content, like if you are interested in learning more about Element, um, you will get a special deal um, on your onboarding fees and then also on your your services packages as well. So if you're looking for sort of a, a new CRM and you need something to sort of like sweeten the pot, right, and justify making that move, um, Enrollify Exclusives is the vehicle through which you should access Element 451 so that they can um, hook you up with those special deals that are, again, are totally exclusive to Enrollify subscribers. So uh, thank you guys. Without further ado, enjoy today's episode. Good morning, Mickey, and welcome to 2021. It's, I guess we're three weeks into 2021 and we're we're finally sitting down and getting this uh, the our first Fanatical Fridays out of the year. Um, but it's great to talk to you, my friend. How are you doing? Oh, it's a great year. Uh, you know, we are releasing this first episode of the year, the week of the inauguration. Um, you know, so to say changes in the air um, is an understatement. <laughs> um, it's 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 happening for the country, for the world. Um, as a leader in the world, this country is, um, um, you know, it's, it's happening there. It's happening um, with the pandemic, always throwing things our way, um, personally, professionally, um, individually, or as an organization. And for me, and for me specifically, personally, professionally, boy, I've made a lot of changes over the break. Uh, I may have said this in the last episode, I don't recall, but, you know, the week between Christmas and New Year's is my favorite week of the year. Huh. Hands down, I get more done in that week than I probably get done in any other five weeks you had together. Wow! Um, wow! Is it just because uh, there aren't there aren't people interrupting you, and and you know most people are there not on people, their email or yeah, what? It, that's a that's a very significant part of it. It's not that I don't have other people. Well, is it interrupting is probably the right way to look at it. Um, 
it's, it's having time to sit and reflect and to plan. Um, and to, and, and not just when I say plan, it's not just planning things that have to be done for the year. It's planning who I need to be for the year to achieve what we need to achieve for the year. Hmm. Very well. And said, so very I well go said. into the week. Well, I go into that week having already identified what I believe we should be able to achieve for the year. But then looking at, you know, the differences between what we have just come off of achieving and looking at what we need to achieve, there's changes involved with that. Coming back to that word, change. There's changes involved in that. And in order for a team of people to achieve those changes, we have to look at, and I say this in our other episodes, you know, you can't make significant change by tweaking something. Sure. You know, the, the more significant the change, the bigger or the more significant the change in results, the more significant the change in what we do and who we are and how we're going about it need to be. Uh, so, you know, we're looking to do some pretty different things this year, um, much more substantial than we have in the past. And we're trying to do it in a year with when there is more uncertainty. Yeah. But um, I'm extremely confident that at the end of the year, we will achieve what we want to achieve. But, you know, part of that week was identifying um some of the tactics that go in there, but really looking at how I can help lead the group toward that. I, I reread, uh, well, I read four books over that week, or maybe four a week and a half. Over that week. That's incredible. What? Yep. Wow. Um, yep. One of them was a reread. Two of them, um, let's see, two of them were fiction books. So let's be clear. And okay. when I say read, I, I do audiobooks. So, audiobooks, so not okay. a true yeah. sense. So I do, and we, um, have been quarantining with the families so that we can get together with the other family in a face-to-face maskless world. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we went down um, for that week, spent it in Myrtle Beach. So I was by an ocean. So that helps, right? Yeah. That helps clear the mind. Um, but I knocked out a couple of fiction books on the drive um, to and from. Um, I read um, a Seth Godin book, The Practice. Okay. Uh, and I reread um, a book I've read many times um, and, and, and love it. Um, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Well, I got to tell you, um, it's one of the two books that, or Collins is one of the two authors in this book specifically, but helped, I would say, transform me and my career to where I am now. Hmm. Um, So I give a lot of that in in the process um, that he goes through here to me is very easy and clear and something I apply. And when I get stuck, and I go to assess why I'm stuck with something, you know, and which I felt at the end of 2020, you know, I was beating my head against a lot of wall, uh, against a wall, trying to figure out what I needed to do differently to make, give us some breakthrough results. And I reread that book, um, and I and I was reminded of the book. I, I, I say I, I came to it. I listened. There's a the best podcast, and I had been saving it for this week intentionally. Okay. It's been out for a few months. Um, the Dare to Lead. Uh, podcast with Brene, Brene Brown, Brown interview. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And it's a two hour interview. Okay. Um, and, um, and I, and I, God, I started taking notes in there and then I went back to this book and just started listening to it um, and finished it on the ride back. But, you know, it crystallized so many things for me um, over the break. And I'm still, I'm still, you know, riding high, man. It has been an awesome kick, kick off to 2021. Wow. Well, hey, that's that's very exciting, um, and you know, just for for our listeners who might be joining us for the first time and or might have not followed uh, every episode 
um, religiously. Uh, one of the things, our, our ultimate goal with this with this space is to uh, discuss the traits and the strategies and the tactics that separate the best enrollment management teams from the rest of the pack. And I think what you're hitting on, Mickey, is um, you know, really sort of rethinking time and allocation of time and energy and like, where, where is my time going? Why is it going there? What are the things that I'm doing that I need, I need to, uh, you know, stop doing? What are the things that I need to keep doing? What are the things that I need to, to start doing? We talk a lot about start, stop, keep, start, stop, keep. Like, what are we starting? What are we stopping? What are we keeping? And I think that this is just a very like uh, great sort of framework um, um, through which to think about kind of this new year, right? And the new year is always exciting, um, but then very quickly it can it can lead to being overwhelmed, right? I think people say uh, January eighteenth or whatever is is like the day that uh, some ridiculous percentage—I don't even know what it is—but I, I, something I read said like 70 percent of New Year's resolutions are done by January eighteenth, um, and we're on January what is it? January twenty first right now when we're recording this. Um, and, and so, you know, mi, mi, you know, statistically 65% of us, uh, tuning in here, um, have already given up on our new year's resolutions. Uh, hopefully that's not the case because we've got some strong, um, we've got a strong audience. I, I can feel it even though, uh, we haven't met most of them. Um, but all of this is to say that I think thinking critically about sort of our time at the offset of this year and where things are going, how you're prioritizing those those big rocks, where you're getting rest, where you're getting reprieve, like those are all incredibly, incredibly important to sort of like nail down as we enter um, a year that, again, while there's, you know, a sense of hope in the air and there's excitement and, you know, there's a vaccine, there's all these good things. Um, it's still sort of a, a precarious time, especially in in higher ed. And I think it's worth just remembering that, like, we're still sort of like in the middle of figuring all of this stuff out, um, even though, you know, hope is on the horizon. So I want to talk a little bit more about this. And then, um, Mickey, I'd love to talk a little bit more specifically about a few different conversations I've had recently and um, some actual like marketing tactics and strategies that I've been playing around with and thinking about that I think our listeners might find uh, find value in. But do you want to just share a little bit more about what we were talking about offline with respect to how you're thinking about like allocation of your time? You know, a lot of the folks tuning in here are, are leaders of teams. Um, and so while you and I don't work um, uh, currently sort of within an admissions context, Mickey, where we are both leading teams, we're both lead, uh, in sort of leadership roles within our respective companies. So I think a lot of what you were sharing with respect to percentage allocation of time could be valuable to, the, to, uh, to our listeners. So yeah, it comes back to a model um, put together with my team when I was running an enrollment team uh, back in, I don't know, 2004, 2005. So been doing this for a while. I haven't really done it here in this role for myself and, and our team. Um, but but really, you know, one of the things that we, you're looking, you know, the some of the common terms we use um, in higher ed um, and, and other in other industries too, but, you know, we need to do more with less yeah. um, or I don't have the time. Um, and it's, it's not doing more with less. It's removing things off so that you can do more. So it's uh, the, 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 what you're doing is an equal amount. But then when you change up and you say you're going to do more, you're going to do something different, um, do something new, you know, you have to look at what that is and how that fits into what the outcomes you need to be are. Hmm. And so when we were, when I had the enrollment team, we were looking at how many, you know, what does it look like to enroll a new class of students? And my team 
were, were had to enroll students. They had to support the students because they were kind of a student support slash advisor person for them. Uh, and, and several of them are also managing a location. Um, so, uh, you know, we had to look at, well, you know, what do I need for the results from this person? Um, and I need certain things to, to be the result of, of the location, certain things in terms of the support advising um because retention is part of the job, uh, and then certain things with enrolling new students, which was the bulk of it. And so we just kind of came up with this um, breakdown to say 60% of the time was going to be focused on recruitment, 30% on ad advising and support, and 10% other duties assigned, and you know the location was part of that. Um, and it gave everyone a framework. And when when I would hear, I don't have the time, or I'm struggling to get these things done, or my numbers seem to be off a little bit, you know, one of the things we would do is go back and let's look at how the past three weeks, how are you spending your time? What are those activities? And let's divide them up in those three categories and then see how much of the time it is. And what we typically find is, you know, you're spending 40% of your time recruitment, 40% of your time supporting and advising students, and 20% of your time doing these other things. You know, when you do that, it's most likely going to see results of fewer prospective students in your pipeline, fewer students that you're converting between the stages of the enrollment process. And, and that's the impact on it. So yeah. if we agree that this enrollment goal is what we need for this location or for your pool of prospective students, then we need to shift back. Yeah. And it's and it was important because you can't stay 60, 30, 10 all the time. You're going to have weeks when you're off. And the, the key was acknowledging it, knowing that you are off. And then when you go back the next week to make the shift, you can't go back to 60, 30, 10 and catch up. Yeah. You have to go to 70, 20, 10 for two weeks yeah. to catch up. Yeah. Um, you have to shift that back and reprioritize, and that will bring um, – the foundation back and it'll bring the normalcy back that we want and expect. And that's what I did over the break for our team was look at each role to say, you know, what, how are you allocating your time and what are the right categories for each position? How should you allocate it? And then that provides a framework so that if they are off, we can work together to figure out why and how to adjust it. I can see it if I'm off and they can work with me um, or other people in the organization can work with me and say, okay, why am I off? If, I, if I'm not able to identify it for myself or address it myself um, and look at that. So it's not saying, you know, because the easy, th you know, you and I were just talking about, you know, how, how do we reduce the number of meetings? Well, yeah. you know, it's, it's not just reducing the number of meetings. It's the type of meetings and why we reduce and what are the outcomes we need to achieve that we cannot achieve if we don't. Because that's going to be the driver, not just the goal of reducing meetings. Yeah. And you know, in terms of how resolutions start and stop, you know, realistically, if I were to say that this was a resolution and and, and why it will persist, because it, it it will persist, it's not because I came up with this and started, let me just willy-nilly go do this as my new resolution. Well, the resolution came in November, when I started putting the plan together, saying I'm going to make changes, and then in December, at the end of the month, I did, you know, came to this crystallization of how I'm going to go about it, and boom, there was a strategy. New Year's just launched it. All the planning was already in place at that point. New Year's just launched it into effect, uh, and so that's you know kind of where we are. You know, I've I've had for a year and a half now, inspired by one of my colleagues try to adopt a zero inbox policy with uh -huh. my email. You're one of those. You're and one of I those. Keep it I try to keep it as close to zero as possible. Well, I was one of those. It's what, you know, I said at the end of the year, I've been banging my head against the wall trying to figure what's off. Well, 
I had, you know, going into Christmas week, 600 emails in my inbox. Yeah. yeah. 600 does not equal zero. I don't know if we have <laughs> math majors, there, but I had to come to realize 600 does not equal zero. Um, and when I finished the new year, I finished it with zero emails in my inbox. Wow. So when that calendar flipped, that was one of the things I needed to do. And so every morning for 45 minutes, I'm going through these emails to figure out, do I really need to take action on this still? Is it resolved? What do I need to take and to move this so that it's in a different stage and put that in place. Now we're not, we're 21 days into the new year. My inbox this morning, uh, I, I have five, um, three of them are new since we started recording this and I've not read them yet. Um, the other two were leftovers from yesterday and I'm fine with that. That's, that's close enough to zero because those are things that will be resolved today. Yeah. Um, what happens when it goes from, from five to 600 is you have 10 at the end of the day that you don't address and you don't get them done tomorrow and you get another 10 tomorrow that you're not addressing. Yeah. Um, and some of that too is also a result of, it's, this is an, an indicator for me. If I'm shifting and doing what I need to do with the time and how I allocate my time, I will have fewer emails in my inbox Yeah. and I can better manage it. So when I'm not managing it and it gets to be 50 or a hundred, it's because something is off and that's an indicator. I'm not trying to go and then fix that. I just need to understand what the indicator is and fix the other thing. And then the trickle down results will be the email slow down again. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, you know, taking notes as, as we're talking here, just because, um, like we talked about, or like you alluded to, we've been talking about sort of just, uh, meeting specifically and sort of like, you know, death by meeting and this idea that, um, you know, we're all just in too many meetings. And I feel like I had a very good sense. Like, I felt like I had a very good, like meeting to deep work, sort of like a uh, ratio going on before the pandemic. And then, um, once COVID hit sort of, and everyone went remote, the need to just like connect with people and, um, you know, be a little bit more face to face via, via zoom just seemed greater, um, because you, you know, weren't, you know, rubbing shoulders with folks in the office and whatnot. And so, um, I just feel like over the past, what is it? Nine months. Um, that's, I, I've struggled to sort of like maintain a good balance between, meeting time and, and deep work time. So as you know, I posted mm -hmm. something on LinkedIn and so many uh, great folks commented and gave some ideas. And um, I was reflecting on all of the the comments folks shared. And one like very, very practical, specific idea that maybe most of our listeners are um, are already doing, but that I sort of walked away with is, is specifically around sort of like delegating ownership over meetings. So right now, the role that I'm in, I sort of lead a, a number of initiatives, um, and I'm sort of at the helm of of these initiatives, which is which is great. Um, but I think one of the challenges for for any leader is thinking like, okay, hey, when we're coming into this meeting, like we've got eight meetings in a day, we're coming into this meeting, like it's my job to you know lead the meeting and ensure that okay yes we're talking about this particular maybe, maybe we're talking about um you know fall 2020 uh applicants and maybe that's what the meeting's about right and you've got you know three team members there everyone's going to sort of like report on their individual admissions pipelines um and but you sort of as like the leader of the enrollment management team probably feel sort of like the need to you know lead and facilitate that meeting um, and, you know, maybe there's a time and a place for that. But what I'm trying to do, and maybe a very practical takeaway for our listeners with respect to this whole conversation we're having around time management and owning your time again, is what it, what what would it look like for you to go through your like weekly recurring meetings and designate a different owner 
to that meeting, meaning it's their responsibility to come up with the agenda for the meeting. It's their responsibility to ensure that the you know goals um, um, that the meeting sort of has are are realized by by the conclusion of the meeting. It's their job to ensure that they're writing that recap email at the end of the meeting, whatever it is. Um, again, maybe this is such a simple hack, but like I'm go I'm literally going through my inbox right now and saying, okay, uh, or my calendar, excuse me, and of the recurring meetings I have. Who can who on my team can I say, hey, I'm gonna be in this meeting, but like I want you to own and run this meeting. I want your brain on this meeting and really sort of like the topic behind the meeting. So I think like this transfer of ownership um, is is just incredibly important and something that I'm gonna be challenging myself to do to do this year um, in conjunction with you know all of my. I was telling uh, I was telling Mickey that. Um, uh, we have, uh, this, I'm talking to our listeners, obviously, um, yes. that I've been, <laughs> that I've been, uh, 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 sort of beta testing the Pomodoro method, which if you're not familiar with it is basically like 25 minutes of deep focus time and then like a five minute break. And the thinking is you come up with your to-do list and you have to tackle the first thing. So you say like, let, maybe number one on your to-do list is, um, I need to spend a couple of hours, like thinking about our strategic enrollment marketing plan for Q1 of, you know, this year. Not that most of you don't think in terms of quarters, but just roll with this here. Uh, let's say that that was the objective. Um, well, then you say, okay, I'm going to need, you know, four, you know, different Pomodoros kind of baked in, um, in order to like make this happen. Um, and what you're, what the methodology suggests is that you can't move on. Like you can't do anything else in your day until that most important thing is done. And I like was like, oh, this won't be that hard. It is incredibly hard to not want to jump to that second and third thing before that first thing is finished. So I, I'm working, I have this little like notebook that I'm using to kind of track progress and whatnot. And I would rate myself like probably like 65% um, in terms of like effectively doing it. Um, but I, I think that that's also just a, a framework that folks might be able to tap into um, um, you know, if, if they're wondering, uh, how to sort of like, how, how to own really like what we're talking about at the end of the day is like owning your time and ensuring that like you are in control of the things that, um, that you need to be in control of. Like at the end of the day, you are the steward of your time. Um, so can I, can I offer some feedback here, please? So, and, and we'll correlate this to say, if you're, if you're a leader and you're working um, with admissions teams and uh, or even operations team, you know, this, this can apply. Um, so a couple of things, um, you might rate yourself at 65%. So keep in mind, if you're trying something new and something different, you're trying it not as an expert at that. So you shouldn't set up the goal to be at a hundred percent initially. Yeah. Yeah. Cause otherwise you're not going to meet that and you're going to be down on yourself and think that you're failing. You're not failing. You're working towards that. You this don't is, this start is like algebra for the first this. time. I love this. Right? Well, that's the thing. If you're trying to be self-taught on, on calculus and start out being able to master everything, how many people can self-teach themselves algebra or calculus for the matter? Not many. Some people can, but not many. Yeah. You would start out and you've got to work your way there, and that's what you're doing. And so you've got to set the right metrics by which to measure yourself. If I've got three people that are missions counselors, one's been doing it for 15 years, one's been doing it for three years, and one's been doing it for two months, I can't hold them to the same standard and expect they have the same score. I can hold them to the same standard, but I can't expect that they all perform at that same level if someone's never done it before and they're only three months in, and this is their first time being in that cycle. I've got to it's not that you give them a curve because I'm not going to necessarily give them the same score. You could potentially do that because they're newer at it and they're doing really well um, or, 
or not. Um, but you can also just say, you know what, uh, you know, John and Tammy are getting a five out of five on this and you're getting a two out of five, but that's not bad for you because you've only been doing this for three months. Yeah. Yeah. So you're still learning that. So I think that's important. So keep that in mind when you're doing it, uh, when you're going through that, um, B when it comes to delegating and turning things over, Sometimes you can easily do it. Sometimes you can't. You may not have people to turn it over to. Yeah. And so when you're planning out, I'm going to delegate this. Again, it's not flipping a switch. You've got to get the people, the right people to hand it off to and have them ready to receive it. And so that takes some time as well. So it might take, you might, you know, if you need to pull back out of 30% of your meetings, you might only be able to pull out of five or 10% initially. And over the next six months, get to 20%. And then another three months be at 30%. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have all those other people to delegate to, if you just go delegate, A, you could be setting yourself up for failure or setting the team or the outcome that you need up for failure. And then when that occurs, there's trickle down to that is, oh, they failed at that. The person I was trying to give it to, so no one else can do it. So there it's back on my shoulders. I'm the only one who can. Yeah. You're in that cycle. Um, and they can't achieve it because they weren't prepared for it or they haven't been trained and, and been learning for that. And so you've got to be sure that they're ready to hand it so that you don't lose the trust, not in the individuals, but in anyone else being able to do it other than yourself. Yeah. And the, third, the next thing I would say is this is not, I would say, blank for everybody. I do this for me. When I'm delegating, if I'm delegating something like for meetings that is not a single meeting but needs to be a series of meetings, I go into the first one to say, here is what we need. We're meeting for this. We need to achieve this. These are the three outcomes I want. I want to help start building the framework today. Um, and Lauren's taking it. And I'll be in and out here and there, but I want this group. So because, and it's not that I'm disinterested. If I stay in it, every one, I begin to dominate some. And, I, and in order for me to pull back, I can't be a part of it because I, I can't, sometimes I can't help it. So it's, it's a measure I put in to protect the group and me delegating. Because then if I do sit in all the meetings, I haven't relieved myself of yeah. the meeting either, by the way. Yeah. But when I do that, there are other pieces to it. I am preparing not just the person leading that group, but everyone else in the group for having a more important role, more involved role, so that they're all preparing. So when I need to hand things off to other people, they're ready to receive that. Amazing. I, I love um, that. And, um, and the final thing I'm going to throw out is please. you mentioned death by meeting. I don't know if you were referencing the book or I was, the phrase. I was, yes. If you've not read the book, Death by Meeting, it's a business fable by Patrick Lencioni, the same guy who wrote Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Read the book because you can knock it out an hour and a half or two hours. Um, and he looks at a framework through this business fable of the four types of meetings. And as you think about how am I spending my day and my time, you could potentially keep the same number of meetings, but refocus them in that model and still save yourself an hour to two hours a day yeah. by shortening certain types of meetings. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and in, you know, full disclosure, uh, our, uh, our CEO is, is a huge Patrick Lencioni fan and I have not, I've read five dysfunctions of a team, but I have not actually read death by meeting, but I feel like I just quote it all the time because he does. Um, so, uh, full disclosure there, maybe, maybe my homework assignment, uh, for this week is to go ahead and read that book. Um, knock it out. It's the quick one. Okay. And I'll, uh, so he, there's a whole series. Um, there's silos, politics, and turf wars. Another great read, uh, another business fable. Um, I, there are several others. I'm trying to read them on my bookshelf here because I'm looking. I'm just turning around looking. There's another one, so get prepared for this title. Um, and I use this more as a consultant, but it's called Getting Naked. Getting Naked. Um, okay. 
Nice. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, and, and it's about how you um, open yourself to be more vulnerable and open and transparent um, in leading people. So well, good. Uh, um, it, that connects to Brene Brown's work in terms of vulnerability and, and um, accountability and, uh, and that. But anyway, um, so yeah, those are great books. He actually just had another book that came out, I think, in the past year. It's called The Motive. Um, it actually kind of touches on all his other major books that he has. So um, I read that one sometime in the fall. Amazing. I just added that to my, both of those books to my, to my to read list, um, which is again, also uh, translates more, more regularly to, to listen list. I'm also a big audio book fan and, and podcast fan. I like, I have, I, I still do like to read like, uh, you know, physical, like, you know, books uh, that I get. I love the, I love the sensation of like still turning the page and feeling like progress um, towards yep. sort of like realizing like this story arc and, and, um, you know, uh, I don't know, sort of acquiring whatever lessons I'm supposed to be acquiring from these reads. And th there's something that's just a little bit more satisfactory still of like flipping the page than, than there is just listening to it. Um, you know, uh, via, so I via audio. Will listen to yeah. it. I'll listen to the book. And if it's one I really like, um, nonfiction, um, I buy the physical copy, will re-listen to it and read it while I re-listen so I can mark it up. Cause I'm a big highlighter and note taker. Yeah. Um, and so I have physical copies of, of all those. And, and, and while we're talking about, you know, change, um, this is also blow my mind. I, I don't think I even told you this. Like I actually am leading a change management session for uh, a division at one of our client institutions. Um, actually, next week. Oh wow! Um, because we're in the process of some significant shift in business operations um, that that coincides with the CRM implementation. So we, you know, we're we're leading their two. Um, two and a half, three hour sessions, um, for them next week. And, and I, I ground a lot of that work in a different book, um, a book called switch, which is, uh, another longtime bestseller, how to change things when change is hard by chip and Dan Heath. It's a, a great book. Um, and it, it, it talks a lot about having a model for change and leading and sustaining change. So I, um, yeah, the, I love the Heath brothers. They did, um, made to stick. Have you read oh, yeah. that one? Great yeah. marketing uh, book. I love, yeah. I love that book. That, I think that might've been like the first like marketing book I read. Um, I think I actually read that in school, um, which was, which was a lot of fun. Uh, they, yeah, I, I learned, I learned so much um, from the Heath brothers. I think that they're great. Yep. Um, so we're close to our, our time here. Um, so why don't, uh, can I just throw out a few things that I want to talk about um, sure. next week so we can do a little teaser for, for folks? Let's do it. All right, cool. So um, I know we didn't get to the practical stuff today, guys, but hopefully this, this conversation was helpful. Um, so th uh, three things that have sort of been like I've been noodling on over the past few weeks um, that I want to share with you that we'll talk about in subsequent episodes, whether we get them all done next week or, you know, we, uh, you know, talk about them over the next few weeks. We will have to see, uh, depending on how excited we get about each topic. But the first one is is rethinking personalization, especially with respect to communications. And really, this topic is inspired by a conversation, really conversations I've been having with um, Jor Liebenthal, who is the CEO and founder of Bold.org. Mickey, have we talked about Bold.org yet? No, uh, no, we haven't. I, I may have so you, if you put a LinkedIn post about, I, I'm, I think I remember it from that, but we've okay. not spoken. Okay. If, if you haven't Googled and uh, haven't like visited their website, it, it's totally worth doing. They're, they're doing uh, a really, really interesting 
um, thing right now, which is basically trying to disrupt sort of the college board names like Monopoly um, on sort of like purchased names. And the way that I mean, they're, they're doing this in a couple of ways that are that's that are super interesting that we can get into um, in at a, in a later episode. But first and foremost, there are a platform where prospective students can go and apply for scholarships and grants that are like private scholarships and grants. So Mickey, you if you you love education technology, you love CRMs, if you wanted to, you know, uh, create a scholarship um, about you know, $1,500 for folks that want to go and work in ed tech eventually or something like that, right? You could just go ahead and, and create that scholarship. Um, you'd work with the folks at bold.org to, to get that going. Um, and then a perspective, and then students could, could apply for that scholarship. And then you as the as the um, funder could would review those applications and like you get to award a winner or you can you know delegate that to the team there if, if you don't have the time for that. So it's super, super interesting, their model. They're trying to take people that uh, they're trying to find donors who care about very, very specific things who might be, you know, who might give to charities they care about, but also want to um, allocate a specific subset of funds um, in, in an area that they care a lot about. So super interesting. So that's like on the front end, but as you can imagine, right, they're acquiring an incredible amount of data from, from prospective students around what they're interested in, um, what schools they're looking at. Um, and they have, and uh, you know, this is, this is like a direct quote from, from drawer. They have literally hundreds of thousands of students who are like signing up for bold.org month over month, which is insane. Um, and so anyways, their, their user, their user growth is just, is just like off the charts. But, um, my point in bringing this up, which we will talk about in more detail later is that, uh, we've been talking a lot about like rethinking what it means to personalize communications. Um, we've talked about this before in this segment, but, um, what drawer and I were talking about, uh, yesterday was like, so often when it comes to, you know, personalization admissions counselors and enrollment managers think about like, Oh, Hey, let's include some personalization tokens that our CRM allows us to include in our traditional, you know, seven email, 10 email search campaign, or, uh, you know, inquiry, Comflow, whatever it might be. And we think about personalization in terms of like, swap out, you know, pro designated program of interest and swap out, oh, you know, a photo if, if they if we know that they like soccer, let's throw a photo in of a student athlete playing soccer. And that's, that's typically what we think about when we think about personalized communications. Well, what we were talking about is, um, one of the things Bold has has uncovered is that a lot of the data that they see is that students care a lot more about sort of like their students have at least a rough understanding of what it is that they want to do. They might not understand like the difference between a um, you know a studying marketing in the school of business versus studying business management in the school of business, right? Like they they don't they don't necessarily as a seventeen you know sixteen seventeen eighteen year old really understand sort of the nuances and the difference between those tracks. Um, but right there is they have a lot of data that says oh hey Zach wants to lead you know start and lead his own company as soon as possible post graduation or something like that. So what they are working on, which I think is incredibly fascinating, is how do they help colleges and universities rethink personalization um, within the context of communications such that it's incredibly specific about outcomes um, and, and, and really sort of like vision casting? Like, okay, so you want to lead your own company, Zach. 
uh, here are three different paths you can take at our school in order to get there. And those specific paths could be like, these are some courses you'd want to take. Hey, if you want to go the traditional route, you would you know uh, study business. You take these entry-level marketing courses, these entry-level business management courses. Oh, if you want to take a slightly different route, you could do integrative studies and you could sort of like marry like econ with business and you know maybe throw in some creative stuff there as well. And so anyways, um, I think, again, we'll go way more into detail and, and I have some specific tactics and frameworks I want to throw out to folks um, in a later episode. But I think that this idea of rethinking what it means to personalize communications and applying sort of like a visionary lens of not just like, oh, we help, you know, 88% of our graduates, uh, of our students get jobs immediately after graduation. Like, that's great. But how do we get even more specific of like, hey, you want to get there? Oh, hey, you want to lead, you want to be leading a Fortune 500 company in, you know, 10 years? Like, here are some of the, here's like at least some of the uh, stops like on your journey, on your roadmap to getting there that you'll want to take while in school and having that become like the new standard of personalization within the context of uh, specifically recruitment focused communications. So that was way longer than I thought it would be. Um, and so I'm not, I'm going to save the other ideas for a, for a later episode, but um Mickey, I don't know if you have any sort of gut reactions to that, but I do want to flesh out sort of like what does it mean to have a strategic personalized communications plan in 2021 um, in light of like uh, shifts in what we know students really care about and also just quite frankly, the shifts in technology that enable us to access these insights that historically we we haven't been able to access. So... Uh, yeah, I, I like it. And I'm going to turn it back a little bit to what we were saying about uh, monitoring our time and shifting our time. Um, it's that to me, I, th I think that's where we need to be going. Yeah. For most institutions, that's not a flip the switch moment. Sure. And say, so we're just going to, we're going to begin doing this. I think where we are to what would be required to do that very effectively is multiple steps. And I think where, where I see institutions getting stuck is they can't figure out how to get to the turn the switch on moment. Yeah. And that's not it. It's, it's not a switch. It's a dimmer. Ah, Ooh, I like and that. Just, I, it just came to my mind, <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> it's, but it's not a flipping a switch. It's a dimmer. We're just turning the dial a little bit. And what we have to know is what is flipping the switch mean when I turn the dimmer all the way up, what does that look like? And when I turn it back to like 75%, what does that look like? What does it look like at 50%? And what does it look like at 25%? So that I know that when I'm quote unquote flipping the switch, I'm just turning the dimmer to 25% and mm. work towards that. Mm. Because what you're talking about in my mind from what I'm seeing schools do is a huge gap. Yeah. And so that is too daunting of a change to jump in and make. They don't know and understand all of the nuances, what it means to personalization, because A, to personalize, you've got to know who it is you're personalizing to, yeah. and therefore then what you're going to personalize about. And so how do I get that data? When do I get that data? What do I say once I have it to make it personalized and effective talking about that career path? You know, And developing all of that out will take, it could take a year to do that, but it doesn't mean you got to spend a whole year with no results. Let's map it out and figure out what's 25% so that when I get to 25%, I'm 
turning the knob up to 25% and something is performing, light is coming down or I'm shining the light, whatever that is, right? Yeah. And so something's starting to occur and how can I work my way? And and that is a planning process, but I think that's what what will get them there to that. But and I'm but I'm with you on it. It's one of the things that, you know, I, I talked about a lot of the things we're doing differently um, with our company. And some of it is we're more succinctly drawing the line in the sand to say, you know, what is it for you as an as a admissions team, enrollment marketing team, you know, what is at the one-on-one level? What's the bare minimum you should be doing? And that personalized communication is is a part of that bare minimum. Yeah. And and I don't mean personalizing, meaning putting your first name in there, you know, dear Zach. No, we've got to go deeper and let's define more clearly what that is. And that's the bare minimum. So that when you what you're talking about is well beyond that. So that when you want to get there, you know, what does 25% mean for you? Well, that's that bare minimum. Yeah. And then let's take it to the next level and define what that is so that you can get there. Yeah. But I'm I'm all with you on that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean there's a there's a lot here that we can that we can dive into um next week or or whenever we can fit it into our editorial scout uh, our editorial calendar. Um and I like I hear what you're saying to you and I, I what I like to do is like I like to I like to talk about like trajectory, like where are things going and like how do we as you're saying, how do we like get there incrementally and intelligently with the resources that, you know, that folks have available to them so um yeah i i think that there's just huge opportunity because like quite frankly like the bar is is so i yeah i guess i should be careful but um so many communication flows look all but identical and so because of that right and because like the the strategies and tactics that that go into sort of like developing those those drip sequences or those the search campaigns like I, I see like, okay, the schools that can even move the needle 25%, right? Maybe even just 10% in sort of this direction, even if it's just for like a subset of of their prospective students, or maybe it's like program specific and you, you just tackle like business programs or something like that because it's a little bit easier to kind of see how that would work. Maybe you just start small there. I, the schools that can do that successfully, like they're just going to immediately stand out because everything else is is very like boilerplate and and expected. And so like I think like the mantra for for 2021 is like how do you be like unexpected with your communications? How do you how do you like genuinely be different? And I think the the work that bold.org is doing and um really thinking specifically about mapping out roadmaps and trajectory and explaining vision for how to get somewhere specifically um, as opposed to just saying, here's why our, you know, marketing program will set you up for success, um, you know, advance your career here, whatever, like, rather than using something like that, um, getting much, much, much more, more specific will immediately stand out simply because it's not what most people are doing. Yep. So, uh, I, I, you know, I think the first step, let's define what, what the out, what the full, dimmer when you've got it at hundred percent is, and then work your way to 25% because 25% is not going to be the same for everyone. Um, and that's important to know. So, um, 25% might be a program, like you just mentioned a pilot, 25% might be, um, for multiple programs, but at a, at a baseline. So understanding the data and starting to collect all the data so that you can begin that personalization process. Um, it might be carving out what it means if you want to be a CEO. Well, what does that mean just for the four years you are with us? Yeah, yeah. Or the first two years you are with us, 
you know, here, here's how you can major and here's what you would do this first couple of years with us in that major working your way there. And so that 50% is this is what you would be doing as you finish up and graduate and then the types of jobs you might be looking for. You know, that's what you're building out and figuring out what is the right thing for you to build out for your 25%. What's the right approach? Um, and then once you have that, then, you know, then you start carving out 25, 50, 75 and 100 and work your way building it. Yeah. Love it. Um, so much here. We could talk all day, but we should we should wrap this um, and and you know re uh, talk about this more next week. And then um, just a quick teaser. I want to talk about video and social commerce being this uh, interesting sort of like rising uh, medium for student recruitment, and then also personal brand development of admissions counselors and program coordinators. Um, so more on that uh, too that we can dive into with with some more specific strategies and tactics that I think folks might uh, might want to test out. Um, but hey, sir, thank you as always for your time. And thank you to our listeners for uh, tuning into our first episode of 2021. We've got lots of exciting things for you in store. Um, thank you, sir. Have, a, have an amazing weekend and we'll chat next week. Same here, Zach. I appreciate it. It was a little bit longer of our first episode uh, for the year, but I think we covered a lot of great things and it helped people think about what they need to be doing to get the year started off right. Um, let's do it. There we go. Yes. Love it. All right, man. Take care.